or from the time of the foundation of the world. It's one of those messages where I don't want to hear it, but it doesn't matter. Whether I want to hear it or not, God wants it heard today. If you're not sure, the title is Telio. T-E-L-E-O. It's a Greek word. We're going to learn about it in just a moment. Henry Cloud is an author. Wrote the book Boundaries with a guy named John Townsend. Spoke with John yesterday. I believe it was the summit. And uh, our Friday. And um, spoke with him about some things that he was doing. And had a good conversation with him. And, and he has a bunch of good stuff out there if you're ever interested in some healthy uh, books to read to get you stronger in leadership and personal relationship. John Townsend's great, but Henry Cloud, and he wrote a book called Boundaries that began putting their name on the map in a great way. After a while, uh, a couple years ago, Henry wrote another book called Necessary Endings. Fantastic title. And I like what those necessary endings were that he said we have to go through. He said that life has things which need to end. And it's true. Closure, sometimes we call it closure, when we need to let something finally be finished and completed in our lives. Closure on an event is necessary too. We talk about closure. This has become a popular word, buzzword, thrown around a lot. And there are some things that we move on pretty quickly and some not so fast. I know some people who grieve for years and years and they're those who say, well, it's happened, I've grieved and I'm moving on. We move on at different paces. Our closure comes when it comes, not when others say it should. So know that you move at your own pace in those things. Now, the time to grieve the loss, it can be long or short. It doesn't matter which it is. Um, But for most folks, like when you lose the privilege to not drive and you get your driver's license, that's a closure. For the child and, a, and a, a closure for the parents where they now say, my child is driving. My child is driving! <laughs> it's closure and they come to acceptance real quick, but it's not too fun in some ways. But there is a closure, isn't there? The, the one for the, the, the youth and the one for the parent where one phase of life ends and that happens rather quickly or when you turn 18 you get the right to vote hey I can vote now the closures on my life a rite of passage if you will of what's going on before it doesn't take a long time to do those things because those things are pretty much going to happen if you get older and move through the paces of life but it takes a little longer in the case of death divorce or relocation or some other form of loss When our environment is bad, we may need to relocate to help find closure, to stay away from negative influences. I know that some people say, I just can't go back to that home anymore because there's too much memories there that I just can't stay there. And they have to relocate when something happens, whether it's a loss or a change or something traumatic. But I will say this, if you don't change your mindset and have closure on your former way of thinking and living, you're going to recreate that environment everywhere you go. Why? Because your environment is not a product of your environment alone 
We seek out in our environment what we seek out because that's what we're looking for. In addiction, we say change your people, places, and things. But before you change your people, places, and things, you have to have a new mindset, a new heart that you've left that kind of life behind. Otherwise, you're going to go back to what's familiar and comfortable in any location that you're at. And that's a problem. So closure doesn't happen if the catalyst for the change has not had its inner working. You can't change just by stepping into a different room. You may have changed rooms, but you're still the same person in the next room. Do you know what I mean? It seems like a simple way to put it. But changing your place does not change your thinking. Now you may go on vacation and feel relaxed. You come home, you're glad to be home finally, and then after a while it's back to the same old routine. Why? Because we're the same person that we left that we come back as. We're just relaxed a little. And wishing we had more time to do what we had enjoyed. But we are the same person because our thinking about our environment hasn't changed just because we left it for a while. This is why we have so much difficulty changing what we do, what we think, and how we act. Our environment in our lives is too strong of an influence for us to be able to say, well, I'm just not going to do that anymore and stay in the same negative places. It just doesn't work real well. And so when that happens, necessary endings in our lives also beget or create necessary new beginnings. And those new beginnings create more necessary endings. And those necessary endings, of course, as you grow and mature, create more necessary new beginnings. That's how we grow. That's how we change. We mature that way. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, we talk about that. We say, well, I know that's the salvation thing that Jesus talks about. You know, the good news. He died, rose, and you know that's the gospel and all that. But we, we miss what He said. He said, repent, and then believe in the gospel. Not believe in the gospel and then repent. Repent so you can believe. Now, here's the difference in saying it the other way around. Because repent is an act of the will, mind, and emotions. All of you has to be engaged in that activity or it's a thought. Only. And it doesn't change you. doesn't say, I'm not okay with that old lifestyle. I can still live that way. And it says, and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe the gospel. This belief thing means that all what else you believe is gone. That everything else that you believe was true is no longer true in light of the kingdom of God. And you're repenting for believing otherwise about God and no longer willing to go that way. This is not a simple task of saying, well, I just, okay, God, I agree, I'll just not do that anymore. That is not repent. Saying I'm sorry is not repenting. 
It is saying I have a complete change of attitude, mindset, and heart. That is repentance. And then I can believe out of the new life because the old environment is no longer the environment inside of me that I'm going to keep or that I'm going to let stay. Otherwise, the enemy takes that, uses that, roots us and grounds us in all sorts of wickedness and evil and deception. And we walk our lives in denial thinking we're okay with God when we're not. just doesn't work that way. So Jesus came and says, repent, believe the Gospel. But He also came to fulfill the works of law and Scripture. There were many, many prophecies about Him in the Old Testament that He came to complete. That until His life was over, and before His life could end, they had to all be done that pertained to His earthly life. He could not leave one undone. But once they were finished, once He completed those prophecies and done the work He had come to do and set it up, He knew it was time to go. There was nothing more He could accomplish by living as a man. It's kind of hard to wrap our heads around, but He knew that as a man living on this earth, He was done doing what He came to do. There wasn't anything else He could do. There would be other people who would need healing and resurrecting, but they would all die again. They'd all get sick and perish. So that was only a temporary fix. He needed something that would work and work forever. The only way He could do that was to finish the job He came to do. So closure for Him was by death. It was a necessary ending to complete the work of Scripture that He was sent to fulfill. He finished well, didn't He? But He had one last task on the cross before He died. An amazing thing that we overlook in this Gospel of John that my wife just read for us in verse 28-30 through of chapter 19. It says as He hung on the cross in both Luke and Mark, I believe it is, He was offered vinegar mixed with gall. Gall is a painkiller. It kind of makes you go a little out of your mind. So you don't know what's going on. And He refused that. He chose the full effect of sin's pain. But one of the effects of dying on a cross is an incredible thirst. And that would have quenched his thirst and made him feel a little better in those last few minutes of life. And he refused. Drawing closer to death, he calls out and says, I thirst. The Gospel of John records that he was offered vinegar. Sour wine, some translations say. It was vinegar mixed with hyssop. What is hyssop? It's a bitter herb. It's not pleasant, but it, in some situations, depending on what kind of hyssop it is, might ease your stomach a little bit. Might season your soup with a little bit of flavor. And people who grow it nowadays use it for those purposes. But for Jesus, the hyssop wasn't for His stomach. It was the bitter vinegar that was made more bitter by the hyssop. I don't know about you, but I don't want to drink vinegar. I've tried apple cider vinegar. I've got to dilute it. 
Why? It hurts my stomach. <laughs> it tastes awful. A lot of people put sugar in their tea and they have sweet tea. Did you know that? And not just a spoonful in a gallon, a cupful or two. Well, it depends on how much sugar they want in their tea. But a lot because, well, it makes it taste bearable for some. And others say, I like it unsweet, and that's bearable enough. But those who say, I can't handle it bitter, what if you put more bitter in it? That's what Jesus was doing. I've got bitter vinegar. Let's make it worse. And they offered that to Him. I'm thirsty. Let's give you the worst thing we can find. And He drank it. Bitterness on His mouth. Yet He wasn't done yet. The final message was almost sent except for a confirmation. You see, we don't know whether Jesus did all the work until He tells us He did. There might have been some unfinished business that He didn't get to do unless we hear what Jesus says. And He takes a breath, His last, I believe, and slowly breathes out, Delio. Delio. Translated as, it is finished. And those looking at him said, his life is done. Because Jesus gives up the ghost at that moment and dies. But I promise you, in that moment, Jesus was not saying his life was over. He is life. He can't take himself away from himself. But this word that he uttered is in the Greek Verb tense of the perfect indicative passive tense, which means something that has been done that has continuing results. There is no English verb tense like this. We can't really translate what he said into English accurately with a word or two. Because the phrase, it is finished, doesn't exactly translate real well what he said. So let's unpack what he said. He said, it means that which has been completed will continue to be complete and completed in the way that he completed it from that time forward. In other words, it's finished, it will be finished tomorrow, and it will be continued to be finished later, but the work of the finishing and what it does is ongoing. This word also is the same as the word mature or complete. All the way done work with nothing left undone. It's like when you put the last finishing touches on a new home and there's no more work to be done. You say, the home is now completed. There is no more work to be done on it and now you can move in because it's move in ready. And from that day forward until it's messed up and tore up, it will be considered move in ready. Jesus is saying the work He did is move in ready. And will be and always shall be. 
It will have its desired accomplishment as an ongoing legacy. That which He has done will remain done and will continue to do what it was supposed to forever. And here's what Jesus is saying. It's over, but it's still going on. It's over, but its work continues. Well, then what did Jesus finish? What were the necessary endings that He did? The first is the power of sin over grace. The fulfillment of the law. As He said, the Scripture is now complete. The end of His life in human form. The sacrifice for sin for all time is done. The handwriting of requirements that is written against us has been nailed to the cross and paid for. The handwriting of requirements is what a prisoner had on his door of his jail cell that he was serving time for. Once it was finished, they handed it back to him saying paid in full. Jesus took our handwriting requirements of the law and paid it in full and gave it back to us as it's done. He finished our lack of access to the throne of God. The veil was torn in two. We have access to the Holy of Holies. Hebrews even tells us, come boldly to the throne of God. Boldly. The foundational work of salvation. What Jesus set down as the foundation will not ever need relay. The work of Satan's power over you is over. He does not have power over you anymore in Jesus Christ. Oh, He can mess with you, but He doesn't have the power to destroy you. He has finished the foundation of the church. He's finished the requirement of our redemption. He has removed and finished our orphan status as no longer not a people of God, but has claimed us in His death to be children of God and no longer orphans. All of this is done on the cross and completed when He said it is finished. And there's one more thing that He finished. He finished our inability to be holy and sanctified. That's pretty good. That work on the cross was definitely an ending and a necessary one. But the effectual results remain ongoing in the world and in you and me. In other words, the cross of almost 2,000 years ago has the power today to change lives by what it did on that particular day. One day changed today. And this change... For lack of a better word, I use the word telio and make it into a word of our own called teleosity. It's the change that the cross affects in a believer in Jesus Christ to mature them, to make them become Christ-like. Teleosity. You're getting mature in Christ, becoming more like Christ. When people see you each new day, there's more of God in you. There's more of Christ's character formed in you each new day. That's teleosity. 
I don't know if I spell it right, but I made it up, so I spell it T-E-L-E-O-S-I-T-Y. So it's in the bottom of the bulletin on the mostly blank page. But I like that word. Are you having teleosity? I don't know, but does it go well with T? It goes well with everything, except the things that need to end. And there are necessary endings in our lives that happen when we belong to Jesus more and more, whether gradually or effectively. Let me tell you some of the necessary endings that happen, and these are the lists I was talking about that they're in the bulletin. What ends is our Lordship, or at least we think we have it. Our Lordship in our minds now ends, and He becomes Lord. The second thing along with that, very similar, is we lose our authority for His. In other words, He runs my life. I do not. Very similar to Lordship, but we need to know who the Lord is and what He's doing. What kind of Lord He is. What else ends? Seeking possessions, fortune, friends, or fame is a sign of our value or self-worth. Nobody wants to hear that one. I'm going to say it again for those of us that do like it and those of us that don't. What ends is our seeking of possessions, fortune, friends, or fame as a sign of our value or self-worth. What else ends... Our willingness or our desire or even the effect or act of judging others. We no longer judge. We leave that to Jesus. Our job is to love, not judge. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, judge. It says, do not judge, according to Jesus, lest you be judged yourself for the same measure you meted out. So do not judge another. What else? Is necessary ending? Raging anger and feuds. You know, we talk about the Mason-Dixon line and some other different long-standing feuds. I promise you those are not from people who love the Lord Jesus and want to love everybody. They're not. We see anger parlayed on our news regularly. Shootings. Riots. These are not God-inspired acts of love. Those are things that need to end and necessarily and hopefully sooner than later. What else? The inability to agape love. This must end. Well, I can't love them like God does. That's not true. You can Why? Because God is inside of you when you belong to Jesus and He's loving through you. You can block God's flow, but you can't say you can't do it because He's doing it. Mm -hmm. You can do all things through Christ that gives you the strength and that's talking about loving like God does. This is a very clear statement. Oh, I thought that meant I could uh, you know, do the things God asked me. Yes, it is. It is the things God asked you and He asked you to love one another as He has loved you. In the same way He has loved you, which is unconditionally, with grace and mercy, without condemnation. 
Preacher, stop stepping on my toes. Well, I'm stepping on my own. That's why I'm dancing back here. Someone's shooting at me and it's my own gun. You ever seen that where the guy's doing it? You want to dance and shooting guns at his feet? Well, there you go. The trigger's right here and I'm getting my own feet. So I'm dancing back here. But I'm not done with the things that need to end. Our lack of transformation and our unwillingness to forgive because of it. God says we can transform through Jesus Christ that we are new creations in Him. And praise the Lord for that. What else must end? Our old self. Paul says we die to self. Jesus Christ says die to self and pick up your cross and follow Him. Paul says, I die daily. When's the last time you died? Oh, one more thing. (laughs) Our right to our lives as we become a possession owned by Jesus. This feeling of owning our own self and our lives and our body must end. It is not yours. You didn't make it. You didn't stick yourself in it. (laughs) The one who did loves you more than you and he knows how to help you rise above it. So those are the necessary endings, but what are the necessary beginnings? These sound a little different. (laughs) Why? Because we choose to drink the vinegar mixed with hyssop. That's the first choice. We start taking what the world says is bitter and unkind and make it a way to transform the world. We drink the vinegar. Why? Because we know we're not living for our own selfish motive anymore. And our desires are now for Jesus when we belong to Him. Well, what shows this but necessary beginnings? Here's one. Forgiving others whether we want to or not. And whether they change or not. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know that i got to do that. Did you pray the Lord's Prayer? Father, forgive me as I forgive others. If I do not forgive them, God, do not forgive me and leave me condemned. Oh, I don't know if I want to pray that prayer anymore. As a disciple of Jesus Christ who has been instructed by the Master what kind of prayer to pray, that's what He says. We either agree with our Master and Lord or we don't. We have to have the necessary ending of who's Lord to have a new beginning, don't we? To have Him have us as His Lord and we are not our own. What else? Hmm. How about making amends even when we don't feel like it? But they don't deserve it. I mean, I may have treated them badly and done things to them, but you know, they don't know. The worst thing you can tell yourself is, I got away with it and nobody knows. There's an old proverb. It's not in the Bible. It's a different proverb. It says, when you've done something, you may think you only know, but all heaven knows and God knows. There's nothing you've done in secret that your father doesn't know. And you will, shall we say, quoting Scripture, be rewarded for what you do in secret. 
He was talking about the prayer closet. That it applies for when we do things that we think we got away with as well. What about this? Living empowered lives that manifest miracles. That's a new beginning. Your life and your prayer needs to start manifesting miracles more and more. And to start believing that's possible. That's a beginning for some of us. Some of us think, well, God doesn't listen. He doesn't answer my prayers. I don't have whatever whoever can do that has. There's something missing in me. I guess I don't have enough faith. That's not true. You have everything you need in Jesus Christ to pray effectively that miracles would happen when you pray. You have all you need when you have Jesus Christ. You just don't have the trust that He's going to use you yet. This is a new beginning. Trusting that He's using you to do His miracle work in this world. You'll pray different if you believe your prayers are going to be effectively answered. If you pray over someone who's hurting and you say, God, if I pray for this person, you're going to do something for them? Well, then I'm not going to pray like this. God, if it's Your will, you know, and You want to, you know, I know I'm praying, but... If when I pray you don't always listen, so God, maybe maybe you'll do it for their faith. That kind of prayer ends. You say, God, you said you would bless others through me and heal them through me. So in the name of Jesus Christ, this person heal them. Different kind of prayer. Different kind of prayer, isn't it? So you live the life that expects to manifest miracles. That's a new beginning for many. The next thing is an undying hope. Have you ever been hopeless? I know what that feels like. You all don't know my entire story. I thought you did. I read that thing I gave you all called the long story this week. And this part of the story isn't in there. But there was a time when I didn't believe God could change anything in my life. It was so far messed up and gone down the tubes. And I was thinking about that this week, and I said, God, that was a lonely place, and it was hopeless. And He said, no, it wasn't. I gave you an undying hope. You just don't believe it. That needs to end, and a new beginning of an undying hope needs to start. What else needs to start? True humility before God and not false piety, looking good or appearing righteous before God. Others. True humility. James 4.10 tells us that God resists the proud, but those are 4.6, I'm sorry. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and in due time He will exalt you. He will. True humility means you accept God's opinion of you and His opinion of Himself too. You are loved unmistakably without question. What else is a new beginning? Without excuse or apology, we become outreach oriented. We want to reach our community. I was so thankful this last Sunday night because God put on my heart that we needed to be a church to reach the community whether or not they darken the doors on a Sunday morning. And the board voted unanimously to do just that. That filled my heart with joy. So we're going to see our, our campus begin to look more community friendly. 
and inviting. That is a wonderful thing to see. Because people in this community need to know they are loved in this community. By this community. And that's one way we are going to do that. What else is a new beginning? We look for ways to continue the mission of Jesus Christ through the church. And to continue that mission through the church is like this. To lead sinners to repentance and believers unto entire sanctification. In other words, those who are not believers, we lead to Christ. And those who are, we help them mature to Tilio. To have teleosity. And we have to have it ourselves to lead others there. Where can you lead someone you haven't been? It's hard to show someone love and grace if you've never experienced it, isn't it? Most times, love without grace comes as demands. And grace without love comes as permission and permissive and passive. What begins is we learn to esteem others higher than ourselves. That's a quote from Scripture. Amen. Esteem others higher than yourself. Do you know what that looks like? Anybody know what that looks like? It means when you're having a bad day, you don't let others know that you're uh, upset and that you don't treat them differently because you had a bad day. And you don't fuss and carry on because you don't feel good. You esteem others higher than yourselves, even though you feel like you should be treated better. Love does not insist on its own way either. That's esteeming others higher than ourselves. Why? Because one of the greatest things in the new beginnings, we learn we're loved. And nothing will ever take it away. What shall separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ? Anybody got that answer? Show me nothing. You can't show me nothing. That means, therefore, there is not one thing in this world or in the world to come or in the spiritual realm or the dark in this realms that will ever stop the love of God for you is found in Jesus Christ. Not past, not future, not demons, not principalities, not powers, not angels. Nothing will take away the love of God for you in Jesus Christ. Nothing will ever separate that from you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Bottom line, truth. He loves you. He wants relationship with you. You are loved unconditionally. God is not sitting there shaking His finger at you, telling you what you're doing wrong. He's sitting here like this saying, come to me and learn of me. Let me love you and and meet you where you are. And I'll help you grow and mature without hurting you. I'm here to meet you as you are, where you are, and bring you home. And He's calling us as church to have the same mindset toward every person we meet, including and especially the person in the mirror. Oh, don't forget you have to esteem yourself when you look in the mirror. And I don't mean, and that's the greatest person alive. It's not what I mean. It's there's a person Jesus Christ died for and God don't make junk. 
You're not junk. You're not a mistake. You are loved. And God puts you the way you are because He wanted you that way because that's the only way He gets get you to do your ministry. That He's called you to. We recognize that God can do miracles through us is a necessary beginning. And God's plan for your life can occur regardless of any circumstance you face. I'm going to say that again because there was a time that I did not believe that. Mm-hmm. That God's plan for your life can occur regardless of any circumstance you face. Amen. Any circumstance. You might say, but God can't use us. God called you to it. He knew that would happen. He will use you regardless of whether that happens or not. You say, Preacher, how would you know? I'm standing up here, pastoring again. When I told God there's no way you could do that. I told Him there's no way possible that I can see you would ever make my life worthwhile. I told God that. Well, look what He's done. You ask me how it happened, I don't know. God did it. I still can't tell you how He did it because I don't know. I could not orchestrate this. I tried not to. I told you that part. I was done. But God wasn't done with me. He said, I still got a plan for you. And what you're going through is going to be the thing that helps people the most. I said, God, if that's the truth, then bring it on. Turn the heat up and get me cleaned out of this mess so I can get to the place you need me to be. Like the crucible. What necessary endings and beginnings need to happen in your life? What are you resisting God on today, right now? If you have no new beginning when you met Jesus Christ, you have had no change in your mind, will, and emotions, and repentance and belief has not happened. But when it does happen and you do repent and believe, Jesus Christ enters in. Now listen to this. And I hope you don't miss this. When Jesus Christ comes in, He's not coming in and going, well, you know, I'm going to come in there and I'm just going to sit there and you're just going to live your life and I'll be happy however you do it. (laughs) He's not doing that. It's the God of the universe inside of you. Living inside of you, taking residence there, and bringing his papa with him. Got you all inside of you, and when that happens, something else got to go to make room, and that's you. And the way you used to think, the way you used to feel, the way you used to value things, all has to change. Why? (laughs) Love this, because people, places, and Things are going to change when you belong to Jesus Christ. And one day you're going to realize your home is with Him in heaven. Not here. So when you say to others, you know, I'm going home someday. I'm going to go to my house, but my home's with God. My life is hidden with Christ in God, says Colossians. And that's where my home is. And that's where I'm going to be with Him forever. So this stuff down here, that, that's not important like that it used to be when I met Jesus. Because there's something inside me that's different now. And I want to grow and learn what that is and live it out so others know the same thing 
and can find the joy that I'm learning every day is brand new with the mercies of God. I'm teleosity. Don't know if that's the right verb tense of that or not, but I am that. I am complete in Jesus Christ, but He's still got work to do. All of it for salvation is done. But in me, He's still got to work it out because I am still broken. And I promise you, we all are. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I know that uh, the time for love and repentance is always now. And yet somehow we resist. Somehow we think that I'll do it later or it's a good idea. And we walk out the same way that we walk in and we've been in your presence and we leave unchanged. But God, if we've really been in your presence, we are different people because we've been on holy ground and standard. We have had to take all the things of our lives away and just to say, oh God, you are who you are. But we can't recognize holy ground. And it becomes just a church service. We attend and listen to stuff and then go home and remain unrepentant. And God, if there's a place in my heart, anyone here that remains unrepentant and unwilling to be changed with necessary endings and necessary beginnings, I ask it to be done right now. Show us by your Holy Spirit that we may lay at your feet and say, God, I repent. In sackcloth and ashes if needed, I will no longer be that person. I will not take that person out of this building with me. That person dies today. Heavenly Father, if you could do that in us, that miracle of the cross continues through us today. And then tomorrow, to the world around us. I ask that you would help us to do this and have the courage to be yours on your terms. Amen. I've asked Diana if she would play Amazing Grace and if you know it, to sing it and to celebrate it. What page? 293 in the Red Book if you need the words. I invite you if you need to come before God and repent. This is a perfect song. It is a believer's national anthem, if you will. It is the number one hymn in all all of Christendom is amazing grace. So let it usher you into the experience of grace of God and you become Helios. Amen.